and welcome to another episode of Behind the Decks. This is a Vent music podcast series hosted by me, Freddie Cocker, and presented to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas, and start conversations. In each episode of Behind the Decks, I check in with DJs and producers from the UK and beyond. We talk all about their musical journeys, their artistry, and most importantly, the person behind the decks. My special guest for this episode of Behind the Decks is one half of Scottish dance music production duo Able Faces. I discovered them through their new single Move With Me featuring Mia Moore, which has now been remixed by 90s house legend Todd Terry. They are made up of brothers Jack and Mark McNeilage. In this episode, I talk to one half of the duo, Jack, about how him and his brother's music journey, from starting a band to meeting their now manager and becoming a songwriting duo, before moving into music production and recently DJing too. We also discuss the importance of self-awareness in the music industry, knowing who and who not to trust, how and why him and his brother hold themselves to high standards for their own work and how that impacts his mental health and their work as a collective. For Jack's mental health, we discuss his experience of anxiety and how that's caused by triggers related to touring and travelling a lot in the music industry, as well as factors like lack of sleep, and then, if it goes unchecked, burnout. So get yourself comfy and have a listen as I go behind the decks with Jack from Able Faces. Jack, welcome to Behind the Decks, mate. Thank you very much for coming on and letting me check in with you. You belong to a esteemed group of Scottish dance music artists who also seem to frequent literally every dance music festival in the world, as Scottish, <laughs> Scottish fans do, despite your population. First <laughs> off, how are you, mate? Yeah, very good, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. The, uh, Excellent, mate. We've got well, a lot to talk about, and I came across you through your brilliant new single, Move Me. So, without further ado, are you ready to start the show? Yes, if my Wi-Fi holds up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start your pod, as we always do on Behind the Decks, Jack, by talking about your music journey first. So, take me back to the beginning. Tell me how your love affair with music began. What were some of your favourite records or music idols? And... How old were you when you first got into producing or playing instruments? Oh, so we, well, Mark and I are, bro- are brothers in Able Faces. So we, from as early as I can remember, there was always kind of music around the house. Our parents weren't actually musical themselves, but they were super into music. So there was always music playing and our granddad was into music as well. So he sort of taught us bits on the piano and bought me my first keyboard when I was about five. And then basically from there, it was just kind of always something that I did. It was piano lessons, guitar lessons, violin lessons, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and yeah, I think from as far back as I can remember, the, the plan was always to do something related to music or performing in some capacity. That was always the aim. And then as time's gone on, that sort of looked slightly differently, but it's always been there. Uh, always been there as the sort of main thing in my <laughs> my life. <laughs> like you said, you're in Able Faces with your brother, but before you went into dance music, you were actually in a band first. So just take yes. me back to that time. What were your favourite memories, sort of just mucking about and in your early years? And how did it end up leading you into dance music? Yeah, we started Able Faces as a band in 2015 with two of our friends. 
that kind of just came out of the fact that when we were kind of around the house, I'm three years older, so I was a bit further ahead with the sort of process of getting into writing songs and stuff. And I would basically write stuff and then I'd get my young brother to sing harmonies on it and uh, play around with it. And yeah, it just sort of was the natural progression. So we started as a kind of folky indie band, didn't really know what we were trying to do, to be honest. It was the classic thing of just figuring it out as you go along, making a lot of mistakes, making a lot of terrible music. And then some that wasn't quite so terrible. (laughs) We played a lot of gigs. I think we played quite a few hundred gigs by the end of that sort of run of being a band because we did festivals, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, for example. We did, we would go through and do like every day for a month in Edinburgh and stuff like that. And we busked in the streets in Glasgow in Edinburgh. We did all the sort of stuff that you do when you're figuring it all out. And it's, it's just great experience, I think, yeah. You then did a songwriting course for a year in London and met your now manager, so yes. why was that course so pivotal in changing the direction that you went on? Well, that course was fascinating because basically Mark and I had gone, we'd become a duo and we were starting to go more in the kind of poppy direction. And we knew that we wanted to do something in the pop world, but we also had a real interest in writing and production when we kind of started to find out that that was like a job that people did. So the, the course that I did was kind of with the intention of understanding that world a bit more. And then through that, Yeah, we met our manager and then he introduced us to the possibility of doing dance music because he said, have you ever written a top line? And we were like, what's that? Have you ever heard of Jack Master? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) that was a terrible accent. (laughs) No, my Jack Master impression is better than that. Hey, it's me, Jack Master on BBC Radio 1, 8pm till 2am. Nice, nice. Please, Jack Master, never listen to this. (laughs) I want to have you on the podcast. (laughs) Honestly, my girlfriend's English, so I spend most days of my life hearing terrible Scottish accents. Hey, mine's decent. Don't have a go at me. Mine's decent. Um, You know what it is? I've learned it off just hearing loads of Glaswegian accents in dance music festivals and them just just saying back to me when they hear an East London accent, just doing these bad EastEnders impressions. I'm like, okay, so we've got this this kinship now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I usually see it as as like a, a nice thing. It's a nice thing to bond over. I spend a lot of time in London, so I I quite like the chat about the accents. (laughs) Um, Yeah, except when it goes into snobbery, then I'm like, yeah, you need to pipe down. But yeah, apart from that, it's all good banter. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, sorry, what was the question? (laughs) Songwriting course. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. So yeah, our manager, John, he basically said, have you done top lining before? And I think I'd done one seminar on that when I was at the course, but we'd we'd never done it. So he sent us a bunch of instrumentals, basically, that needed vocals. And so we tried a few of them and then we kind of got lucky because I think the fourth one that we tried, we got signed and that was really exciting. It was the first time we'd ever worked with a label. It was the first time that we'd had any sort of interaction with an artist who, who, was, who was kind of quite big and doing well. So that then sent us down this road that we'd never planned on, but stumbled into and actually really enjoyed because we found that we'd spent years kind of being bedroom producers, making all of our own stuff from scratch not even really collaborating with anyone and it can become quite intense and quite it takes you six months to finish a song and all that kind of thing and then we realized with top lining that you could literally do a song a day pretty much or maybe in two days and then it was just addictive because it was so enjoyable getting so much stuff done and getting to work with great producers because we were getting some really cool instrumentals and then we basically had our first release that came out with a dj called mark benjamin who's quite big in europe and whatnot we had a song out on Oliver Heldon's label with him, weirdly the first week of lockdown. And then that basically meant that the whole first lockdown, 
people started to know who we were. So we just got tons of DJs getting in touch with instrumentals being like, do you want to stick a top line on this? So we were literally working six days a week during lockdown and just doing three or four top lines a week and just knocking them out and just getting better, I think, was the main thing. Just like actually starting to really understand how dance music worked and fucking loving it. Because <laughs> we were both always so into so many different genres and it was the first time we'd found one that was like, this makes so much sense. Because we'd always liked dance music, but amongst a lot of other genres. And then it was the first time it was like, it just seemed so obvious that it was what made sense for us. So that was how we kind of got into dance music and all the rest of it. And when it comes to Able Faces itself as a, as a brand and, and the duo that you're a part of, would you say it's purely house? Would you say you veer into other genres? And where did the inspiration for the name come from as well? Well, the, the name was, we wanted to have a name that was at the start of the alphabet. Because we were imagining... <laughs> it's always marketing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we were kind of picturing the idea of like walking into a record store or whatever. Haha, <laughs> it, was, it was a long time ago. Imagine that being a thing now. <laughs> we were imagining walking into a record store and you... Yeah, we just wanted to be first, basically. We had a bunch of ideas that we wrote down and we can't even remember which one of us came up with Able Faces. But we just kind of liked the fact that it sounded kind of strange and quite like you couldn't really pinpoint what the musical sound like. And we kind of like that. So we just stuck with it. And it's been our name now for eight years. As you mentioned, mate, when you were writing songs for DJs and producers, a lot of other artists end up writing for bigger artists, which keeps their income flow steady. And it's it's mm. almost like their bridge to becoming fully fledged artists in their own right. You know, famous yeah, examples yeah. of this are people like M&EK or Reed to Aura, but there's probably other examples that you know. So how did you make the transition to songwriters in the background to able faces in the foreground? Yeah, well... For us, it was kind of, it was actually quite a natural thing because what basically happened was we started doing top lining and very much viewed it as we were songwriters. Some of the tracks we got our name on, so it would be, you know, featuring Able Faces or whatever, we very much were approaching that as we were writing for the other artist and what they were wanting to do for their project. So it meant that we ended up doing tons of different genres. And then we got a publishing deal, which was great. So we signed to Sam Phelps publishing company is a joint thing with a company called CTM and again they got us a lot of opportunities that we're writing for other people including hard style artists which is a million miles away from the stuff that we do as our own artist project but then basically at the end of 2021 we started to think about our own artist project seriously and then Sam Felt released an EP of ours on his label that we made last year and then that was kind of dipper toes in the the water and see see what we thought and then we had a single called 3am ended up doing quite well and then basically we just agreed at the end of last year that this year was just going to be about our artist project and that was the focus but I think it's quite a natural progression I think with dance music because so much of it's collaboration so you're making a track and then sending it out and whether you're sending it to a label or a publisher or a manager or another artist to then work on it's all kind of the same process because for us, we've always really been most interested in the writing part. And now I think the thing that's different is we're not usually working with instrumentals. We usually make something from scratch. And then it's a song by song basis of going, this one is perfect for our project. Let's just release it as us. Or this one's perfect, but let's get someone else to work on it with us. Or this isn't right for us, but it's cool. So let's try and find another artist to take the song. I always ask this question on Behind the Decks to all of my DJ and producer guests jack which is about the myths and the realities of being a producer or dj and that 
the superstar DJ in quote unquote terms is only really applicable to a tiny minority of people <laughs> in this industry. So mm-hmm. what are some of the realities you've experienced, positive or negative, that you can share with the listeners, whether that's about work-life balance or relationships or something completely different that might be news to your fans, your friends, or even your family? Oh, wow. Um, that's a big one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... For us, again, because we kind of come up at an interesting time, like our introduction to the music industry, like properly, was during COVID. So we, it was only it's only really been about 18 months where everything's been kind of open up. So I think what's been really quite a transition, during lockdown, everyone was at home. You know, when we signed to Sam Felt and CTM, we'd not met any of them in person, but Sam Felt's one of the biggest DJs in the world, and he's just jumping on a FaceTime call to have a chat. You know, it was the same with all the DJs we were working with. And there was a kind of casualness, I think, to the way that the industry felt, which was kind of all we'd known. And then coming out of COVID and getting the experience of going to clubs and seeing these guys that we've worked with and and also playing live ourselves, you kind of get an insight into the the fact that it's it's a much bigger thing than it sort of feels when you're just sitting at home. So I think that's been really interesting because I think a lot of people... I think it's really hard for people, especially if you're living in an expensive city, like a lot of people are living in London or, or Amsterdam or whatever, to make it happen. It can be really harsh. And the thing is that the lines between the people that are doing really well and the people that are not doing so well yet are so large. So that so you end up in these sort of funny situations where the first time we went to Amsterdam a few years ago, we had nowhere near as many releases or whatever as we do now. And you quickly find yourself mingling with people who are very successful. But it's kind of a weird contradiction because you're nowhere near their level yet, but you're sort of in the same room as them and, or whatever it is. You know, it's, it's um, the real life part of it, I think, has been the biggest surprise for us coming out of COVID. But it's great because it, it, it makes you feel very, um, it feels very realistic, I think, having had the experience that we had. I think for a lot of people, if they've come up in non-COVID times, the industry can feel very social climbing. Whereas for us... I think because it was just the two of us, our studio was in our parents' house. (laughs) (laughs) So the two of us just in our parents' house kind of locked away, doing some Zoom sessions and whatnot, but basically just in a little sort of bubble. It makes it feel like you can just really keep your head down and focus on what you're doing, as opposed to being distracted by the the noise and all that. Whereas, don't get me wrong, it's been so fun coming out of COVID and being able to go and party with, you know, the people that you've been working with online and we've had some amazing experiences in the last couple of years. But I think it's good that we've got that foundation of our default is not the kind of craziness. It's just the sort of little bubble of us in a studio and just getting on with it, you know, which keeps you sane. <laughs> you mentioned performing live there. And mm. you've only just recently started DJing the duo versus songwriting and producing. So yeah. how has this developed your skill set and also your appeal as artists, I guess, and, and also challenged you to keep improving? That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, we played live a lot before COVID and then we'd sort of just stopped for, well, as everybody did, we stopped during COVID (laughs) and then didn't pick it up immediately because we were so busy with the studio work. We kind of just stuck with that until we'd figured out what we wanted to do live. And yeah, basically it started to just make sense that we did full on DJing with a bit of live elements. So some keys and live vocals and stuff like that. And I think it's really helped us with the songwriting because it's very easy if you're a writer producer to sit in a studio. Sorry, that's the other thing I should have said that the other transition that we've made is we've stopped Just Top Lightning. We also now produce as well. 
we did produce it, but we didn't get to flex that muscle for a bit while people just wanted vocals. <laughs> yeah, it's very easy to get very scientific with it when you're sitting in, in your lab making stuff and sending it away. But going out into the real world and seeing the real life interactions with an audience and all that is, is such good experience for writing because I think we've got much better at honing in what's going to work in a live environment. And which one would you say or outlet out of producing, writing or playing instruments helps you the most with your mental health? Ooh. Um, I think playing instruments in a way that's quite organic and wholesome is probably like, for example, I love playing the piano and sitting down at an actual acoustic piano and playing away. That's that's great for relaxation. I think songwriting and producing can both be <laughs> the, the, they could they could be both the best thing or the worst thing. For yes, you. I know what you mean. Usually, I'm glad to say usually it's the best thing. I mean, there's nothing better than when you're in a session with people and everyone's on the same wavelength and you've got that collective kind of energy in the room. And yeah, I mean, that, that's, that sort of stuff really gives you faith in the world when you have a session that's really good. On the odd time that we have a session where it's harder or if we're just producing and you can't quite get something, that could be hard, but I think we're pretty good at dealing with that. It's just part of the process. But yeah, I think all of it, I think one of the things that's amazing about what we get to do is you never get bored. And if your brain is struggling with one of the things, you can do one of the other things. <laughs> so I actually think rather than one specific thing, it's probably the variety is the thing that is best for mental health. Your DJing and production partner isn't just your business partner, as you said, he's also your brother. So yeah. does it make those live performances on one hand and perhaps the other big achievements you've gone through and had since COVID and perhaps before it and after it more special than they would if it was just your mate? Yeah, I think it does. I think you've had that much sort of history with somebody. It's pretty special. For example, we played Coco in London a few months oh, ago. One of my favourite venues in London, if not my favourite yeah. for, for the sound system alone, mate. Oh man, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's like 1,500 people, I think. And, you know, it's I think it's five or six levels up. So when you're on the stage, it's beautiful looking up at the, the different levels in the crowd and everything. So things like that are pretty special when you think, fucking hell, man, we made some of these songs, like, <laughs> well, we made most of these songs just sitting in, the, sitting in like an attic and just working them out kind of thing. It's really cool when you're... So yeah, I think I think that does make it special. Yeah. And on the other hand, what challenges does it also present when you might have to navigate finances, allocating time with the rest of your family and probably a lot of other issues that come into play when your brother is your business partner? Glad to say that finance wise, well, actually, for a start, Mark studied finance before we. Oh, that helps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He left uni when we got signed, but yeah, he was doing finance. So he's really good with that stuff. I think, thankfully, we trust each other implicitly. So finance wise and contracts and all that sort of stuff we completely like trust each other and we know each of us has got one another's back with that stuff so that's really good that helps massively in terms of yeah I think getting the balance of being brothers and also being business partners is a funny one because it can be all-consuming usually Mm -hmm. in a really positive way but you know when you're getting so many emails and for example we've got between our own project and other things we've written for people I think we've got 11 songs coming out between August and December this year, which is a lot. <laughs> when you're doing the contracts for that stuff and the, the labels are saying about the artwork and the yeah, masters. And mode, yeah, it's all the thing, man. Yeah. It's a lot. So you end up 
even though most of it's really exciting, you do end up, it's quite hard if we're having a family dinner or <laughs> whatever it is, you know, it's difficult to not just talk about that stuff because it's got a plugger on the phone, like go away. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And, but that's also because we both really love it and care about it. So it's hard to not talk about it. If, if something pops into your head when you're with everyone else, it's hard to not just be like, oh, by the way. <laughs> but I, I think we're pretty good at it. I think we're also, because we're brothers, you've got that thing of you don't have to be quite as polite with each other. So we're quite good. I was going to say, being, yeah. Yeah. That you can go both ways though. <laughs> well, yeah, it can do. It can. But no, you, and I think we got on remarkably well. And you can just be like, I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to whatever. And Neither of us is going to take offence if the other person just needs some space. And we're fortunate enough that we both live in really nice places that we've got a lot of outdoor space and, you know, we can go for walks in nice parks and all that sort of stuff if you need to get out. When it comes to issues in the industry, the main one that you wanted to talk about, Jack, is self-awareness that you need as an artist and particularly to know who to trust and who not to trust if you're going to to succeed just unpack that for me and how you've both navigated it as brothers and as business partners (laughs) that makes it sound really ominous saying (laughs) yeah i think for me that what i meant by that was just the fact that i think a lot of the sanity in this industry and i guess in life generally comes from having a solid group of people that you can really genuinely trust because i think the music industry like a lot of industries in the arts and stuff and i guess a lot of other industries it can be very social climate yeah Mm. flaky and something's hot for one minute so everyone jumps on it and then all that kind of thing and it can be really up and down you can have five songs signed in one month and then none the next month and you need a bit of stability there, I think. So having people that are your friends because you're friends rather than because they want to get something from you or you want to get something from them and all that kind of thing, I think is really important. And Mark and I, I say that not really from having bad experiences, but the opposite. I think Mark and I are incredibly lucky. We've got a fantastic manager. The whole management company is brilliant. We got on really well with them. The people at our publishing company are really lovely. And we've got a lot of brilliant people that we get to collaborate with that are now friends as well so it's sort of I think my main sort of thing I would say is just for anyone want to do music is make sure you find that and don't always be obsessing too much about the people that you think are the ones you should be hanging around with you know I always say to young artists and anyone really who does work in this industry or any type of creative industry your real ones will buy tickets for the show they won't ask for guest list <laughs> i was having this conversation with my flatmate yesterday because he's a comedian he's doing really well and he's got a big show in glasgow next month and we were talking about that i buy tickets to his show don't worry <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. just just put it out there on record <laughs> yeah yeah not that he needs it though he's doing really well but i still buy it i bet he doesn't <laughs> yeah <laughs> Having that stability you've got then, just building on that answer you gave with your production company, with the publishing company, does it give you that protection, that shield of armour from the people that might be sharks sniffing blood in the water? Or are you already (laughs) self-aware to know to keep them out? (laughs) Or not jump in? (laughs) I feel like this could be cut up and make me look really bad. I'm sitting some big expose on the music industry or something. No, not at all, mate. (laughs) Yeah, I think it does to an extent. I think I think the thing that we're very aware of, there's a lot of horror stories. You hear a lot of people, yeah. most people in the music industry. Some of my podcasts, mate, I've heard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, we've had the odd thing that's been, you know, somebody doing something that you can't quite believe they're just that blatantly trying to rip you off or whatever it is. 
We've been pretty lucky, thankfully. I think, yeah. Well, first of all, having each other, so we can we can bounce things off each other and figure out if something's a good idea. But then beyond that, our manager's pretty savvy because he's been in the industry for years. You do just learn as you go along. You just have to try and learn from experience. And if something does sting you a little bit, whatever it is, yeah, keep it in mind and don't let it happen again. I've spoken to a lot of artists on this podcast about comparison culture and comparing themselves with other artists in the industry, Jack. But one thing that you wanted to talk about is almost internal comparison culture in how you and your brother compare your most recent work with the work that you've done beforehand. Now, I'm sure a lot of artists do this. In fact, I think most artists do this to some degree. That's why most artists don't like playing their old stuff. and They like playing new stuff only. So has this problem ever stifled your creativity anyway or affected your mental health in that sense? I think, yeah, I've definitely been at points really stressed before about how to make it click. You can't quite understand why it's not clicking, whether that's a specific song. Probably not so much with specific songs. I think it would more be on a a grander level if you hit a bit of a point where you're like, oh, it's just not quite all happening at the pace that we want it to or whatever it is. And that can be really frustrating and tricky. I think that where we compare ourselves a lot is not necessarily on the performance of the songs, but in terms of how good we think they are. One of the things we also agreed last year with one another, as well as making Able Faces the focus, was that we weren't going to compromise on quality. Because what can end up happening a lot is you've got three artists involved in the song by the end. or whatever. So we've started a song and then someone else has taken it and then someone else has taken it and a label gets involved and blah, blah, blah. And it ends up being a really watered down version of the song. <laughs> and I think there's a lot to be said for being able to stand behind what you've like put out. Because if you if you don't like it, what the hell is the point? <laughs> you know, literally, you know. And also, chances are, if you don't like it, no one's going to like it. Because you're probably, if you're instinctively thinking this isn't sitting right, you're probably right. So I think we've just been much better this year. And I don't mean no compromise in a kind of really bold and arrogant way, more just in terms of if we're writing something, saying, is that chorus definitely good enough? And I think the temptation when you're doing so many songs the way everyone is that works as writers and producers and also when you're working with other people, it's quite hard to be the one that puts their hand up and goes, I don't think this is good enough yet. We should keep working on it. We just started doing that. And it's amazing how much more success we've had this year because the stuff is just it's just better, I think, because we're taking the time and just really not giving up until we're super happy with it. So I think that, that could be hard, though, because... you you know, like self-doubt is a real thing. It could get to a point with stuff where you're like, will this ever be right, you know? <laughs> will this get played in a Dennis Sorter set? Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's hard because there's a, there's a real balance to be had because I think for the most part, the best stuff comes when it's fun to make. We tend to, just to kind of contradict my last point, <laughs> if something's a real challenge, if something is so, it's just not clicking and you, and then you feel that you're labouring it, sometimes that just means it's not good enough and it's just not going to be good enough. You're better just actually making something fresh. If it's just little things, then we would always go through the detail. But yeah, I think you want it to be fun and you want it to be a a process that feels good. You want everyone to be excited by it. And if you're not, then it's not the end of the world. You don't need to be really beat up about it. Just move on and do something else. And that's definitely still a learning process for us, but it's one that definitely helps with your sanity. I bet. Let's reflect on your music journey now, mate. So what has it taught you about yourself? Ooh, um, a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It becomes so linked because music and all that goes with it is so much part of who I am. It's sort of 
very linked. I think what it's taught me about myself is the benefit, kind of like I was just saying, the benefit of not getting so consumed by something that you lose any perspective and the benefit of just being in the moment, being present and also enjoying it. That's definitely something I think what I learned about myself was sometimes I wasn't that good at enjoying stuff because I was so worried about big picture and what's the plan and all that kind of thing. And actually what's been really great has been that kind of realization and just making an effort to just take things in and, and just take them for what they are. The big picture will take care of itself if you're just present and focused on the here and now and, and don't worry about the you know if you're out for drinks with some really cool people in Berlin that you've just worked with just fucking enjoy that just be like this is really sick <laughs> I'm gonna enjoy this rather than really worrying about you know making sure that you'd say the right things and get the right numbers from people and all the rest of it. We've talked all about Jack, the music producer, DJ, one half of Able Faces. Let's go behind the decks and talk about your own mental health journey now, mate. So I ask all my special guests on this topic, this question first too. Take me back to early life in Scotland, childhood, teenagers, and looking back, were there any early mental health experiences? Who's the Jack we meet here? <laughs> um, I was really fortunate, I think. I had a very happy childhood. There's literally nothing I can think of when I was younger that was a kind of, apart from the, the usual being a teenager <laughs> stuff <laughs> where you're stroppy with your parents for absolutely no reason. Other than that, I think, yeah, I was a very happy child, very um, cheery, energetic, and yeah, maybe too energetic sometimes. But yeah, that was great. I think the first time I'd ever kind of experienced any sort of feeling of like proper stress or whatever was when I was much older. The main part of your mental health journey we're going to discuss, mate, and it comes back to music in a way, or in a big way actually, which is anxiety, which stems from a few music-related triggers. So touring, which then leads to lack of sleep, I would imagine. So tell me how this has impacted your mental health and how the symptoms usually manifest. Again, I'm fortunate that I don't suffer from anything major with mental health, but yeah, just I've had spells of anxiety mainly brought on by exhaustion <laughs> it's kind of two things partially the fact that yes working hard and we've not really toured yet as such playing live it's more that we do a lot of writing trips we've still got two to look forward to but the writing trips it's kind of it tends to be that you go away somewhere for anywhere from a few days to a week or two or whatever and that can be very very full-on so fun so exciting but Definitely the end of that, sometimes it's a bit of kind of almost burnout because you're exhausted. And I think one of the things that I'm still learning and figuring out is how to be good at switching off and just chilling out and getting to bed at the right time and all that sort of stuff. Because it can be very tempting not to. Not even from doing anything wild. I'm not really much of a partier, but just sort of like you've been at a studio session and then you go out for dinner and some drinks. You get back to the hotel at 12 midnight and then yeah just going and sitting on my phone for two hours it's like why are you doing that because <laughs> you know? then you wake up the next day and feel like shit <laughs> but yeah things like that and then just sometimes when I've come home from those kind of trips I'll just be absolutely wiped and then that's when you're most likely to feel anxious because you're tired and underslept and that's when stress is kicking I guess. When you know what things will improve your mental health but also the things that will trigger it so the things that will improve it are your income stream, which dep also depends on things like traveling for the writing trips or even mm. touring eventually. And then those same things can then counteract it and lead to poor mental health. 
Does it ever feel like you're consciously self-sabotaging when you're self-aware of it? <laughs> <laughs> nah, I think for the most part, becoming more like aware of what is good for me and what's not is definitely only been a positive. I'm lucky as well. My girlfriend, she works for a company that specialises in human development because she's got her shit together, basically. She's, she's, really, <laughs> uh, she's a very disciplined person with eating and getting to bed and you know doing all the things that she knows are good for her you know, not being on her phone too much and all these kinds of things. So she's been a great example that I can follow <laughs> in that sense. And yeah, I think I'm glad that I've sort of taken an interest in what is good for you or what is good for me, I should say, because I think that will only serve me well in the long run because work is only getting busier. Our career is only getting busier. So it's good to be on top of it before it, it would actually get to a point where it would be an issue because thankfully it's not yet. And, it, and it's just a case of keeping all that stuff in check because I think I would compare it to some people find that their downfall is drugs or alcohol or whatever it is. But I think actually for me, it's just the kind of over cramming of your schedule and ending up with fun stuff and work stuff, whatever, and then just ending up completely uh, burnt out. So I think it's good to be aware of that stuff. And outside of doing the usually good things that will improve your general mental health, like getting a lot of sleep, eating well, all the rest of it. Are there any other positive tools that you've learned to manage those or just manage your daily mental health? Yeah, I think exercise is so key. I think like a lot of people, I enjoy the gym when I'm in the routine of it, but it's easy to fall out of that. But I think just not being super hard on myself about the gym, but, you know, going for a walk, amazing. I usually walk to our studio every day, which is about a 40-minute walk. So if I do that there and back, you know, you come in feeling fresh and you go home feeling fresh because you've had that chance to decompress at the end of the day. And I think also just not drinking too much. I'm not like a big drink problem or anything, but the kind of regularity of drinking is definitely there if you want it to be, especially when you're in the music industry. So just realizing that even if it's just a couple of beers, you're doing that most nights on a writing trip, you do feel like shit at the end of it. And as fun as it is, don't get me wrong. (laughs) Just keeping those kind of things in mind. So just sort of being a bit more careful about when to drink and yeah, all of that sort of stuff as well is really important, I think. And as we reflect on your mental health journey, mate, same question as before. What has this mental health journey taught you about yourself, first of all? I think I probably surprised myself that I'm actually, I can be prone to being quite anxious because I probably wouldn't have thought that about myself or described myself as that five years ago. So that's been quite interesting. And once you sort of go, oh, that's the thing, that's interesting, it means it's a lot less kind of scary because you realise it is so manageable if you just sort of do the right things. And I think it's also taught me that my slightly obsessive nature with not being that good at switching off is a good and bad thing because it's also definitely been a great thing for work. You know, the fact that it's like not compromising on quality of the songs or constantly kind of going out and meeting people and making sure you're following up on emails and all that sort of stuff. So so it's a good and bad thing. So it's been quite interesting sort of realising that about myself. And second of all, as a final question before we move on, if you could go back and talk to that Jack who was in that, scottish indie band wondering how his career would go (laughs) or the jack who was struggling a little bit with anxiety coming close to burnout what would you say to him knowing what you do now do the stuff that's so blatantly obvious (laughs) (laughs) it's almost like the stuff like getting us sleep eat well all that stuff it almost sounds so boring and predictable that you almost don't think that's what you should be thinking about if you know what i mean But yeah, I think just that stuff. The other thing I would say is focus on how you feel. If you feel like you're underslept, it's because you are. (laughs) 
if you feel like you're in need of a, a salad and a walk, <laughs> it's because you are. <laughs> Listening to your body and actually sort of paying attention to that stuff, I think is so important. Our final topic of conversation, Jack, and it's one I try and have with all of my special guests. It is a general natter and quick fire chat about our mental health. So firstly, how would you say your mental health is at the moment, mate? It's good, thank you. Yeah, good. I think sleep is definitely a factor in my life that I'm constantly working on. Aren't we all, mate? (laughs) Yeah, but I think, yeah, pretty good. Thank you. Excellent. And what age were you when you became self-aware of your mental health and you realised that the feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind? Ooh. Um, Probably only in the last few years, properly. So maybe when I was sort of early 20s. And was it a eureka moment or a gradual process? Very gradual. Thankfully, I've never had any awful things that have you know, really made it a massive thing. And can you tell me about the first conversation you had with someone about your mental health? So who was it with? What did you say? And how do you look back on it? Did it feel like, for example, on the one hand, this big moment or a burden or weight had been lifted off your shoulders? Or on the other, something quite easy and normal to do? I think quite easy and normal. I'm lucky that I've got a lot of friends who are, I think it comes, <laughs> it comes from being in the arts. I've always had friends that are sort of artsy and people who are like that tend to be a bit more open. So I think I've always been around a culture of opening up and sharing. So it's never felt like a a big deal to share. And I'm also, I'm very close to my parents and we're very open. So I've I've never really felt like it's a big thing. We've already discussed triggers and tools. So my next question is, what has been the best book, or as I call it, mental health Bible you've read for your mental health? Now, it can be mental health or self-help related. If you can't think of a book, an album, TV show, any piece of popular culture. There's a few. I'm not a massive reader, but I'm a massive podcast listener. <laughs> Bodes well for this one then. Hopefully you're listening to other episodes after this. Exactly. Yeah, no, no, I have. I have. One of the only books, if not the only book that I've fully read in the last few years was actually written by my girlfriend's mum. <laughs> She's all right. Uh, Good plug. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll plug that for you. Okay. It's a kind of self-help kind of book called Extraordinary, and it was really, really good. Genuinely, actually, was brilliant because, as I said, my girlfriend's very um, knowledgeable about that whole world, and and that's also because she's come from a family that are. Yeah, her mum wrote this great book that's basically about the, or my main takeaway from it was the the benefit of observing your thoughts and not being controlled by them. So. For example, oh, I'm prone to anxiety. Rather than creating a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy of telling yourself, I am an anxious person and blah, 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 making it more like, ah, that's interesting. I'm someone who could be prone to or can be prone to anxiety. That's good to know and be aware of, but it doesn't control me. So that was great. And then other things like in terms of career, podcasts like And The Writer Is, which is a songwriting podcast where they interview songwriters it's not about mental health but i think for the sanity of that being that was like kind of you said the bible that was kind of like my bible when i was doing the songwriting course in london for a year i was listening to that every episode and obsessing over the kind of things that these successful writers were saying because i was thinking i was trying to like follow what they were saying and what they'd done and all that and i found that incredibly inspiring and really good for mental health <laughs> just stop the self-doubt because you think well if they can do it i can do it if there was a mantra in life that summed up your mental health what would it be and why mm, that is a hard question um so a quote or a song lyric or a saying anything you can think of i don't know how to condense it into a quote 
I'd say this is the most cliched thing that anyone has ever said, but I've got to say it anyway. I've done 265 episodes, mate. There's probably been more cliches said. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think it genuinely would be be kind to yourself and others because the concept of being kind to yourself, I think is something that I only started to properly grasp pretty recently. And, I'm, and it actually is so bloody obvious, but it's so easy to neglect. And then similarly, being kind to others is obviously just very fundamental to their well-being and yours. So, mm. What do you love about yourself? Ooh. Um, I think I love the fact that I've got a pretty strong will. If I want to make something happen, I will make it happen. Yeah, I, I think I like the fact that I'm pretty good. I think if I set my mind to something, I'm pretty unwaverable. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a word. I think it's a word, but we'll have to fact check that one. I think, I think it's a unwavering. word. Unwavering? Unwavering. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's, that's the one. one. I'm not sure about unwaverable. Maybe I'll have to dictionary that. The thing, the thing I hate about myself is that I clearly don't speak English very well. <laughs> <laughs> it's a word in the Scottish. That's what it is. <laughs> and as a final question, mate, this is another broad one. Hmm. What more do you think we have to do to ensure men from all backgrounds, all walks of life, feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health issues or just their general mental health, if, most importantly, they want to do it? I think I think this is such a cool idea for the podcast, because I think, you know, DJing is still something that's very male-dominated, which is an issue in itself, but obviously that's a separate issue. <laughs> and I think similarly with sports stars and, yeah, people who take on those sort of traditionally fairly masculine roles, just being more open and talking and leading the way people that are in a position that they can, they have a bit of a platform, whatever, using that to normalize men sharing their feelings. And yeah, God, it's, it's so hard, isn't it? I think it's a cultural shift that's required. And I think it's happening. It'll just be gradual. And it takes people like yourself doing this podcast, like sort of stepping out and, and making an effort for it. And I think also just the way that music, to, to link it back to what I do, I think the fact that it's become more normalised for men to be quite vulnerable in songs, it's not really as cool now for a guy to be, you know, singing about, you know, I, I don't know, just this <laughs> traditional, mm. not traditional, but the old sort of old school thing that was a bit misogynistic and a bit kind of, I'm such a hard man. Mm. <laughs> it's now kind of moving away from that. It's a bit more trendy for guys to be openly pouring their heart out, which is only a good thing in terms of, you know, creating I mean, a culture of men's Louis Capaldi, mate, biggest example. Exactly, exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, he's he's a great example because he's so successful. And a massive part of that is the fact that people love him for the mm. fact that he is open and he's honest and both in his songs and as a person. So you could only hope that that sort of example being set to young boys or whatever will normalise and actually make it cool that someone's open and someone that shares how they're feeling. And, and also hopefully we'll create a culture where that's not then mocked or shut down mm-hmm. or whatever. Again, I think I was lucky... My upbringing, it was almost normal for, I always felt comfortable sharing how I was feeling and stuff. And that was through my parents and then also the friends group that I was lucky enough to have. So I guess you can only hope that more people get to have that because there's a lot of people that aren't in supportive environments for being open. Jack from Able Faces, thank you so much for coming on my Behind the Deck series and the Just Checking In podcast and talking to me, pal. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. 
Well, that's all we've got time for on this episode of Behind the Decks. I want to say a big thank you to Jack from Able Faces for being my special guest on this episode and for letting me go Behind the Decks with him. Able Faces' newest single, Don't Let Me Down, will play us out. And I'll put all of Able Faces' streaming and social media links in the show notes as always. I'll sign us off by saying thank you to all the vendors who've tuned in. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, give it a share on social media. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it. If you're feeling generous, write us a review and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Or you can support our Patreon. That's www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk. Or you can go to our link tree. That's linktr.ee slash venthelpuk. If you want to buy a Vent t-shirt or buy a ticket to the Just Checking In podcast live show. Or go to our GoFundMe. Stay tuned for the next episode of Behind the Decks. And remember guys, it is always okay to vent. Another day I was lost before I saw you standing there And then suddenly I was crossed to my face